Amen. Amen. Well, it's so good to be with you today. Um, can we give our kids another round of applause? They did a great job of actually showing us the passage we're going to be in today. Um, and so if you've got your Bibles, that story's in Luke 19, or it's also in your notes. But before we dive in, I wanted to remind you, if you thought that was good, you'll want to come back next week. Uh, next week is uh, our Palm Sunday. Kids um, are going to, ha our kids are having their program next week. So it's going to look a little different. We're going to have two services, one at 9 in the morning and then one at 11. So if you want to sleep in, there's your chance. Okay, next week. But uh, you'll want to come. It's a great time. And then there will be no Sunday school next week. And then also Easter Sunday, there'll be no Sunday school. So um, you don't want to skip today uh, if you were planning on it. So uh, as we dive in, today we're continuing our series called Grace Revealed, where we've been going through the book of Luke together, and we've been looking at some different passages that talk to us about who Jesus is, what he was like, and from that we, we're beginning to learn what grace looks like. I'm sorry here. We're beginning to look and see what grace looks like. Um, because as we read in John chapter 1, here's what it says. It says, with, the, with Moses the law came, but with Jesus came grace and truth. And so what, what this is saying to us is this. I want to make sure we get this right. A lot of times what we can do is we can say, okay, Jesus reveals grace to us. But what we, what we do is we say, this is what I think grace is. I think grace means this, so that must have been what Jesus was like. But when we do that, that's problematic because if I was to go around different churches and different places and ask people on the street, if we were to define grace, many of us would define grace very differently. Uh, some of us might say that grace, grace means um, everybody's going to heaven. That's what grace means. Some might say grace means uh, it's, it's, that, uh, it's something God offers, but you have to earn it. You have to work for it. You've got to earn it. But that's not what grace is, okay? And see, th this is why it's so important. This is why I hope you've been joining us as we read through Luke, because instead of saying this is what grace is, so that's what Jesus must be like, we're looking at the person, Jesus Christ, and who reveals grace to us, and we're saying, if that's what Jesus is like, that must be what grace is like. Do you get it? So we're looking at Jesus, and to do that, we're finding what grace really is. And so we've, we've looked at a lot of different things. We've seen that Jesus' word has authority. We've seen that when Jesus speaks, things change, right? We've seen that we can bring things to Jesus, and he works. He'll give us grace to sustain us. Uh, and today we're going to talk about how grace can do the impossible. How grace can do the impossible. So we're going to go ahead and, and jump in. And as we look at it today, we're going to learn a couple things about what grace is. But we're also going to learn about some obstacles that come between us and receiving that grace. Because there are obstacles. Because here's the reality. We believe, uh, we firmly believe that grace, Jesus came, he offered forgiveness he offers grace to each person here, each person in our community, each person in your family, each person around the world. We believe that Jesus came not just to be the Savior to some, but that that invitation is open to everyone. 
But there's a reality, right? Grace that's been revealed, that, uh, that doesn't always mean that it's become grace received for us. Just because it's been revealed doesn't mean we've received it. We have to receive it, okay? And, and so we're going to talk about if it's been revealed, how could some people know about it and yet not accept it, not receive it? What are some obstacles that get in the way and how do we remove those things, okay? So that's what we're going to be talking about today. So, remember how I began by saying sometimes people can have an incorrect view of grace. They don't understand it. And, and, and Jesus reveals that to us. Well, as you saw in the story, and as you've probably read, as you've heard the story of Zacchaeus, is this. The Pharisees and religious leaders, these were the people who were teaching others about God, had a big misunderstanding about God's grace. They didn't understand some things about God's grace, and they had a view of God that wasn't totally correct. And, and that's why when Jesus would act in certain ways, like healing someone on the Sabbath, or like hanging out with tax collectors, they would get upset because he's claiming to be the Son of God, he's claiming to be revealing God to us, and yet he's acting in a way that they didn't think God should act. Why would God do this? And so they, they would get upset. Let's just give you one example here, okay? It's Luke chapter 15, so just a couple chapters back, verses 1 and 2. Here's what it says. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, and can you believe this, even eating with them. And so they began to get upset with him. And as you think through Jesus' life, you say, you know, there's a lot of stories about Jesus upsetting the Pharisees because he's talking to someone or spending time with someone or reaching out to someone that they would not associate with. Think about the woman with adultery. They, they tried to catch Jesus in that story. There's a woman caught committing adultery, and they bring her out and they say, the law says, remember the law came through Moses, right? The law says she should be killed. And, and everybody's there, what will you do, Jesus? And now, I want, you to, I want you to know, Jesus never says that what this woman did was okay. But instead, he extends grace to her. And one by one, the people walk away sad because Jesus said, here's the requirement to throw the first stone. Whoever's without sin, you can throw the first stone, then we'll all jump in. And one by one, they drop their stones and they walk away. And see, that was a way that Jesus was revealing grace. He was revealing to us what love looks like, what grace looks like, and he would offend people. But as we get into it, I said we're going to talk about some things about grace. We're going to learn some things about grace today. Here's the first one I want you to, talk, want you to know. It's true for Zacchaeus in that story you saw. It's true for you. And here it is. Jesus can handle your worst. Amen. Yeah, I'm glad we got some amens. You know, when, when uh, we were singing that song, Calvary, and um, I was looking around just as they were singing it during, while communion was being served, I saw some hands go up. Man, Calvary covers it all. My sin and shame, they don't count anymore. All praise to the one. I mean, can, can you think about this with me? It's all about him. Calvary covers it all, and some of those hands that were raised probably have some things in their life they don't want to talk about anymore. 
I know I do. I've got some things in my life that were bad. That, in fact, there was a time that I thought maybe Jesus couldn't handle my worst. And you know what? I know that in a crowd like this today, I know with those of you viewing online, there are some of us who've got some things in our life that we think Jesus can't handle. We think he can't redeem it. We think, I can't take this to Jesus. This is, this is too much. This is too bad. And it can actually become that very first, remember I said we we're going to talk about a couple obstacles to receiving God's grace. One of those things can just be the bad things that we've done, and we think somehow what we've done is worse than what others have done. And so while somebody next to me maybe was raising their hand, Calvary covers it all, you don't know what I did. You don't know what I'm doing. You don't know where I'm at in life. You don't know where I've been. And yeah, that promise is probably true for some, but mine is worse. And we think, Jesus can't handle that. I'm going to tell you today, He can. The reason I'm sharing this today, it may be for just one person who's here today who has been covered in shame and has done something they regret, they cannot change, or is stuck in something they wish they... they weren't doing, but here they are, and they think, I can never come to Jesus like this. There's no way I can, and I want you to know you can today. I'm telling you, you can. If that's all you hear, I want you to know that. You can bring that to Jesus, and you want to know how I know that? Because they put this story about Zacchaeus in the Bible. I want you to stop and think about who Zacchaeus really was. Okay, we, we, we sing the song about he's a wee little man and, you know, we get this, you know, this funny picture and we, we think about it and it's a fun song to sing. But sometimes we miss just how hated Zacchaeus probably was by the majority of the people in the crowd that day as Jesus was walking by. He was the chief tax collectors. T- chief tax collector, I'm sorry. And let, let's just talk about tax collectors real quick. Tax collectors in that day, you've got to remember, so he, he, he's a Jew from everything we can understand about it. Zacchaeus was a Jew. He was considered a traitor to the Jewish people because they were occupied by Rome, and he was collecting taxes for Rome from his own people. And not only that, I want you to know, not only that, but we also know from that story that he cheated people, Right? He cheated people. Can't you hear somebody in the crowd when Jesus says, Hey, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. You're saying, there's no way Jesus is a prophet if he's going to that man's house. There's no way Jesus is the Messiah if he's going to Zacchaeus' house because we were broke. I have nothing. Zacchaeus is very wealthy. And yet, he came to my house and he took, I know he took more than what I owed. And what was I going to do? He took more, he took it for himself, he added to his wealth, he took from my poverty, we're struggling, and he took more than I even owed, just so he could go and be more wealthy, just so he could go and have more. He's already got an abundance. I mean, can you imagine what's going on in the crowd that day? Think about the sins this man was accountable for, because it wasn't only his sins he was accountable for. He was the chief tax collector. And I can guarantee you, when you have a boss with no integrity in that kind of business, what do you think the people working under him were like? Do you think they all had integrity? No, he created a culture. There's no doubt. If he's working with no integrity, those people under him undoubtedly were taking advantage 
of people all throughout that area. And all that sin, all of that has been okayed by Zacchaeus, done by Zacchaeus, and it's all laid at his feet right here. Zacchaeus was not just a wee little man. Zacchaeus was a wicked man. Zacchaeus took advantage from people. He stole from the poor. Read the Old Testament. Just read some of the verses. That was the scriptures they had at those times. There was no hope for Zacchaeus. I mean, the, script, the Old Testament is full of scriptures like, listen, you've got blood on your hands. You give no justice to the poor. How can you live in such a way and expect God to hear your prayers? That's what it says. And here's Zacchaeus, guilty of all of it. Surprised he even showed up. But, I wonder if Zacchaeus had heard just a little bit about Jesus on the way. Because if I was Zacchaeus, I know Jesus is coming through. Listen, there's been no hope. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, have written him off. People, the church in that day, had written this guy off. But I wonder if he heard a little bit about Jesus. That passage we read earlier about Jesus hanging out with notorious sinners and tax collectors. I wonder if Zacchaeus had heard that, some of that. Those were some of the people in his business. Maybe he heard that, you know what, Jesus hangs out with some of the worst. I wonder if he'd hang out with me. Maybe he heard this parable. It's in your notes. We're not going to read the whole story, but it's a parable that Jesus tells. And uh, he says it to some people who really think they're, they're hot stuff. They really think they're these great, you know, religious people. And here's what he says. He says, listen, here's what happens. Two, two people went up to the temple to pray. One's a Pharisee. One's this great religious leader. But the other's a tax collector. And the Pharisee, while he's there, he's saying, God, thank you that I'm not like these other sinners. And thank you that I'm especially not like this tax collector over here. This traitor. This thief, this, whatever you want to call him. And here's the tax collector. God, please have mercy on me, a sinner. It says he was beating his chest. God, I don't deserve it, but please have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus ends the parable by saying, that's the one who walked away right with God. I wonder if Zacchaeus heard this. I really do. As I've been reading through Luke and preparing, I'm saying, I wonder how much of this Zacchaeus knew when Jesus was coming through town. And maybe it gave him just enough hope. Maybe it gave him just a shadow of hope that somehow a guy like him could be made right with God. And so he went out. And he climbed a tree. And sure enough, Jesus walks by. He can't see him. He's up in the tree so he can see Jesus. And Jesus says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. You ever invite yourself over somewhere? Yeah, when we moved here pretty early on, we uh, talked to my Uncle Tom and Aunt Melanie. Alyssa did, and she said, hey, look, we want to come over for dinner. So we came over. They cooked us this nice dinner. It works really well. You don't have to buy food. You just show up. You don't have to do dishes. You just invite yourself over. 
Well, that, that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus invited himself over to Zacchaeus' house. And, and I'm going to tell you, there's no doubt Zacchaeus was shocked, but he got right down. He got right down, and he welcomed him gladly. He was so excited to have this opportunity, right? Because here he is, like we've talked about, remember, sin upon sin upon sin. The amount of sins that this man was responsible for, we don't know the number. He was bad, okay? He was really bad, but Jesus says, hey, I'm going to come to your house. I can't imagine that he wasn't thinking, this is my opportunity, Remember that guy who said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner, that parable? That's got to be true. And so when he comes over, he says, Jesus, half of everything I have, I'm giving to the poor. And everybody I've wronged, I'm going to give them back four times what I cheated them. You know what Jesus said? Today, salvation has come to this house. Today. You know what that means? You are saved today. You are made right with God today. The parable came true. So going back to that first thing we mentioned, if you think God can't handle your worst, I want you to know the door's open today. Today. He never says that what Zacchaeus did wasn't wrong, right? It was wrong. Zacchaeus had to change. He couldn't continue cheating people and, and be a true son of Abraham, as the scripture says, be a real child of God. He couldn't continue doing the things he was doing and be that way, but I want you to know, Jesus also didn't wait for him to prove it. He just said, Jesus, today, I'm going to make things right. And Jesus said, Zacchaeus, today, salvation has come to this house. The door's open today. Your worst does not have to be an obstacle to God's grace. This passage even ends by saying, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. He came to seek and save the lost. So if you know you're not right with God, there's good news. Jesus came for you. He's looking for you. He's the, you're the reason he came. If everybody was already right with God, if nobody would ever made a mistake, if nobody would ever sinned, he wouldn't have had to come. But you know what? When I was lost, that's why he came. And he came to seek after me. And sometimes we think, that God wants to dig up our past and run it over and hold it over us forever and just say, remember when you did this when you were 13? Remember when you did this when you were 17? God's not like our politics, right? I mean, that's where our politics are today. You did something 30 years ago, man, we're going to hold that over your head. We think God's like that sometimes. You did this thing, and you'll never be able to make it right. It's always going to define you. Nope, not, not with Jesus. He can handle your worst. He can change you. He can forgive your worst. And you know what? Your worst can be in the past. And that's what he does. And Zacchaeus, at this very moment, he gets it. He gets it. And, and he receives the salvation. But I want to let you, I want you to know, I want you to think with me. Because there's another passage just a little bit before this we're going to talk about that really shines some light on this story about Zacchaeus. Because it's not, I want you to know, it's not just our worst. It's not just our worst that can keep Jesus from us, can keep us from receiving his grace. Sometimes it's our best that can. I want you to think about this with me. It's not just our worst that can be an obstacle from us receiving God's grace. Sometimes our best can. What do I mean? I want you to hear this story with me. This is another rich man. 
Just like Zacchaeus was rich, right? Zacchaeus, very wealthy man, chief tax collector. He received salvation. Just a chapter before, very wealthy man comes to Jesus and asks the question, how do I inherit eternal life? Anybody want to know the answer to that question, right? How do I inherit eternal life? What a great question to ask Jesus. How, how can I go to heaven? How can I be saved forever? You've been talking about this eternal life. How do I receive it? And I want you to know, this, this rich man was very different than Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, immoral, thief, would take advantage of people. Not this guy. This guy was a moral person. In fact, we're, we're, let's read the story real quick. It's only five verses. It's in your notes. It's from Luke 18, verses 18 to 23. Here's what it says. A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. Well, all these I've kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. It's a very different story, isn't it, than the story about Zacchaeus. Two rich men, and honestly, this one we just read about, he'd be the one that would be acceptable here. He'd be the one that would be acceptable here. This guy's wealthy and he's pretty moral. I mean, he could fit in here. The notorious sinners... That's a little harder. I mean, I don't want to sit next to a notorious sinner. I mean, that's kind of difficult. But those are the people Jesus talked to. He talked to them all, though. And here he is. He gives this man an offer, too. He says, he says what are the commandments? You know the commandments. And he starts listing them. But did you notice some of the commandments that Jesus left off? Those aren't the Ten Commandments. He only listed about six of them. You know what he left off? Number one. He left off number two. He didn't talk about how we need to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. He didn't talk about how we weren't supposed to have any gods before him. He didn't talk about how we're not supposed to have any idols. He summed all those up into his last point. And he said, you lack one thing. Sell everything you have and then come follow me. Then you'll have treasure in heaven. Now we know from this story it's not a sin to be wealthy. This chief tax collector, he was very wealthy. Even giving half of what he had, he was still going to be fine. Even repaying these people, it wasn't the problem that he had wealth. The problem was wealth was on the throne of his life. He pursued it. He sought after it with everything. He was living for it. And I think it's real interesting how Jesus ends. He doesn't say how hard it is for, some, for a rich person to enter or to inherit eternal life. He says how hard it is for a rich person to
to enter the kingdom of God. And maybe that's the point. Maybe that's what's been missing. Because Jesus doesn't, didn't come, I want, I want you to know this, he didn't come to only take your worst. He didn't. He didn't come just so we could dump all our trash on him, all our sin, and say, Jesus, throw that away, and now I'm going to be good. This story teaches us something. It teaches us that being a Christian is more than just missing the big ones. It's more than just not doing the big sins. It's more than just, you know, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to stay away from all this big stuff, and then, I'll, then I'll, I'll be right with God, everything will be perfect. It's not just turning from sin, but it's giving your life to God. See, when Jesus arrived, what did he say? He said, repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. There's a new way of living. I want you to stop with me and think for a moment about grace, maybe a little differently. Because here, here's, here's kind of the reality that we're seeing here. We've got this rich man, and we've got this tax collector, and both are living in the same kingdom. That's the kingdom of self, right? It's the kingdom of sin. It's where self reigns. Now, this guy was a lot more moral than the tax collector, but morals don't save you. Morals don't get you to heaven. You cannot take your morals to God and say, look at how good I checked off these boxes. Look how good I did morally in my life. you got to let me in. Morals, it, it doesn't work that way. They're both in the kingdom of self, and it's all revealed in this one question to, to the rich young ruler where he says, hey, if you'll give, let everything go, come follow me, you'll have treasure in heaven. Right there, his heart is revealed. So you've got the kingdom of self. Every one of us has lived for some time in that kingdom. It's where it's me first. Yeah, it doesn't mean I won't do anything good, but it's going to benefit me in some way or another. I might even serve somewhere so people think well of me. But at the end of the day, it's about me. My relationship's about me. My relationship with God, about me. Right? It's about me getting to heaven. It's about me getting things that I want. But it's about me being blessed. And sometimes, you know, people who live this way, when they come to God, it's like when things aren't perfect, they walk away from Him because it's not working in the kingdom of self where it's all about Travis. But here's what grace does. Grace reaches out to the kingdom of self and it gives an open invitation to the most selfish of us and says, why don't you join my kingdom? Why don't you come walk with me a while? And see, this is where we understand it's more than just leaving sin behind. Yeah, we have to turn from sin, but we also give God our life because to live in the kingdom of God, guess what? There's a new king. There's a new king in the kingdom of God. And, and, and when we live there, everything changes even though a lot of things look the same. I want you to think about this with me for a while. I used to have a boss. Uh, remember the pool store I told you about a while ago? I, worked, I used to work at a pool company, and I had a boss there. And when I was younger, this, this man was not living for God. Um, he grew up in the church. He actually went to Olivet Nazarene University, and you know, he, he was a Christian. He actually even thought he was called to ministry at one point. And then um, him and he got married. Him and his wife kind of started, in his own words, saying, going off the deep end, right? They were living life their own way. They were doing their own thing. 
uh, they, then they had some kids, you know, and they, things started changing. And then um, September 11th, 9-11 happened. And he said God used that as a wake-up call in his life. So it may, caused him to think about some things. And so this man, at this point, he owned a company, he had a family, and you know what? He'd been a bad influence probably on his workers. They used to have big parties together at work, and things would get out of hand. But what he did was, he said, God, I'm giving you my life now. And you know what? God didn't change where he worked. God didn't change um, where he lived. He didn't have to sell everything he had. Okay? But here's what God did. He took this business. He took this family. He took this man, and he transferred him from living for himself, the kingdom of self, to I've got a new king. What did that look like for him? Here's what it looked like for him. I'm just trying to give you an example. Here's what it looked like for him. It looked like beginning some Bible studies at work with his employees. It looked like setting aside part of the business, um, to, uh, business funds to give away. He's funded church plants. He's funded missionaries. He's funded so many different things over the years. He's blessed people because he said, you know what, I'm going to take part of the business uh, financials, and that's going to be about giving. Because you know what? We don't need to put it all back in the business because it's not about building my kingdom anymore. It's about building God's kingdom. And for him, it looked like he became our children's pastor at church. He, uh, you know, he couldn't do everything, but he says, I'll take Sunday nights or Sunday mornings and Sunday nights. That was his main day. And he, and he took those over and he started investing in kids. It, it looked like for him, giving people second chances at work who didn't deserve it because he wanted to show grace to them. And, you know, he's, he's got another co-owner. He said, why do you keep rehiring these guys? He says, well, you know, I want to give him another chance. I want to give him another chance. And, and that's what it looked like for him. And this guy's left a big impact. I can't tell you how many people from that work I've seen at church. I can't tell you how many lives have been impacted by his life, mine being one of them. And see, this is the whole thing. We can't just give God our worst. He could have came to God and said, God, I'm sorry for the bad things I've done. I don't want to do those anymore. That's it, okay? And that could have been his, uh, you know, his moment and then just continued living the same way he was, but just missing the bad stuff. But God wants the good. God wants it all. He wants our whole life. And so while it doesn't mean that we're all going to have to sell everything we have and leave home, here's what it means. God the relationships I have, work in those. The job I have, work in that. The money I have, God, I'm going to use it for you because I'm not living for my own kingdom. I'm not building my own kingdom. I'm building yours. And when that change happens, we give God our worst. We give God our best. And when we do that, I can tell you, Jesus is not going to be unfair with you. My old pastor had a saying, and I found it true in every circumstance. You cannot outgive God. You cannot outgive God. In fact, the disciples even said to Jesus one time, they said, Jesus, we've given up homes for you. We, we've left our families for you. I mean, we left a lot of stuff behind, and Jesus says, listen, you're going to be rewarded with so much more. You have no idea because you cannot outgive God. And so, so part of this giving our best is, like I said, it's about living for a different kingdom, but 
it's all, I want you to know, it's not all about work. It, it, it can't be. It's not all about, it, like, I'm just trying to earn this. Sometimes when I say you've got to give God your best, some of us can just slump our shoulders, right? I'm already so tired. I'm already so busy. Or you feel guilty, like, I, I, I don't know how I could give God more. And I want you to know, I really do, I want you to know this. It's not that you, it's not that you have this big weight now where you've got to just work harder. You've just got to invite God into your life. Say, God, I want to give you my best. Because your best always, I want you to notice, your best always comes out of a greater love for Christ, not a greater sense of responsibility. If you feel a big responsibility to do things for Christ, that may be part of your walk. God may be showing you something, but that alone is not going to produce your best. Because you can feel like, I need to do this, i got to do that. I gotta, and, and then it becomes this duty but when you love him, that's when your best will come. Don't believe me? Think about this. Who would you rather work with? Someone who feels a great responsibility to get their job done or someone who loves their job? The person who loves their job goes above and beyond. The person who loves their job comes in and overcomes adversity. The person who loves their job, I mean, there's someone you want on your team, always. I would take somebody who loves their job over someone who's more talented any day because the person who loves their job, they're going to give me 100% every day, and they're going to get better, and they're going to keep growing. They're going to keep getting better. And, and there's so many examples of this. I, I've got a kind of a funny one today, but one of the things you, you may know about me is I love to fish. I love to fish. You may not know that. I don't always catch a lot, but I love it. And um, it's, it, does, it pales in comparison to my love for God, but it captures the point. Uh, so this last week, I got to go on a fishing trip. And uh, it was a little cold. Cold front came through. The water was pretty cold. It was about 48 degrees, and we weren't really catching that many fish. And uh, Brandon Roll, some of you know him, he goes here. He was on the boat with me, and um, I got my hook stuck on the side of a dock. And uh, so, you know, I get up to the front of the boat. I got to get up there. I got to get this jig off this dock. And so I get up there, and I'm, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. It takes a lot of work. I finally, I get this jig off, and uh, I take a step over back onto my boat. You know, I was kind of straddling it. And my foot doesn't land on the boat. It goes straight into the water along with the rest of my body. I went, <gasps> oh, I mean, have you ever fell in cold water? It just sucks the air out of your lungs. I think we got a picture of me dripping wet right there. Brandon was kind enough to take a picture for me. Uh, he didn't laugh or anything. I mean, but I was freezing cold. But you know what? It was only about two in the afternoon. A lot of people who don't love fishing, they'd have called it a day, right? Not me. I had a pair of snow pants in the boat. I had a coat and I had like another sweater. I put on my snow pants. I, I change. Five more minutes, I'm fishing the rest of the day. Why? Because I love to fish. Because I love to fish, I'm just going to keep going, even though I'm freezing and soaking wet. And we probably only caught one or two more the rest of the day. But it was worth it because I love it. And see, loving something isn't just the absence of doing something harmful to it. It means you pursue it. I mean, imagine a, a couple in counseling. Just think about this with me. Imagine a couple, a marriage that's going through some trouble. The husband, he's not coming home after work. He's gone all the time. He's not spending time with the kids. The, the marriage is deteriorating. The wife is broken. She's in tears. She's hurting. They go to the, they go to the counselor, and, and, and they meet with this, this 
uh, person who's trying to help them save their marriage. And imagine the counselor saying, Sir, I know both sides have made some mistakes, but you've got to, make, you've got to have some changes. Now imagine with me his response being this. Well, it's not like I cheated on her. I mean, I'm a good husband. I didn't cheat on her. I haven't, done, I haven't cheated on her, so I'm a pretty good husband. I don't see why I have to change. Guess what? We could do that with God. We can give nothing to the relationship. There's nothing flowing out of love. There's nothing pouring out of my heart like I want to spend time with him. I want to I serve him. I want to love him. But I can say, hey, listen, don't talk to me about this because I haven't cheated on God. I haven't done the big ones. God wants more than that. He really does. He really does. He wants us to just give ourselves to him. He wants us to love him. And it's not out of duty. It's out of love because love compels us to do our best. And our best isn't a burden. I'm not saying you've got to start some crazy routine. I just mean love God. Bring him everywhere you go with you. Love God. Spend some time with him. Ask him to increase your love for him. Paul prays that all the time. He prays that believers' love would increase. Their love would abound. How about you pray that? How about I pray that? Because love will change the way that we live. So, but here, here we go. Here's the reality. We talked about two obstacles, but we've talked about two truths about grace, right? Here's the obstacles. My worst can keep me from God. I've done too much. I've gone too far. God could never take that. That's a lie. My best can keep me from God. It really can. Because I say, God, I'll give you, I, you know, I'll stop the big ones, but Lord... I'm not going to give you my life. Let me tell you, he wants your life today. He gave his life. He purchased you. He loves you. He's got something better for you. You'll never regret giving him your life. Might be hard a little bit at first. There might be something that you have to let go. For this rich man, he would have departed with his money. But for the last 2,000 years, would be a life of blessing after blessing after blessing in eternity with God. You cannot outgive God. So we've talked about the obstacles, but we've talked about the truth, right? So those are the obstacles, but here's the truth. God can handle your worst. Jesus can handle it. He requires our best, but our best isn't a burden. It's born out of love. And when we, when we feel like, man, I just don't have that love, he can increase your love. He can help you to love him. He can help change you from the inside out. So here we go, last, last passage for us today. It's Revelation 3, verses 19 and 20. You've heard it before. Probably many of you have. But here's what it says. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. You want to know the best news all day? Jesus didn't just invite himself over to Zacchaeus' house. He's invited himself to your house. 
Maybe he's inside. Maybe you're having fellowship. Maybe you're eating together. Maybe there's this joy, this peace. It's my prayer that every single person would leave here today with the peace that comes from knowing Christ and from him being your personal Savior. But if you haven't, I want you to know there's a knock at the door. He wants to come in. He's invited himself over. Will you open the door? Will you let him come in? I'm going to ask Christine to come and play this morning. And I've got to share something with you that uh, wasn't really planned until just a little bit ago. Um, I normally work on these sermons all week, but you know what? God speaks to me just in my own time alone with him. And this morning, I'll be honest, I got up this morning and I was praying that somebody would come to know Christ. That's my heart's desire. Maybe somebody who's been stumbling over one of these obstacles. I was praying for you this morning. And I got into the scripture. I got to Psalm 74. And I really felt like God gave me a promise this morning. Here's what it says. Psalm 74, verse 12. It says, Yet God, my King, is from of old. He's been around a long time. But here's what it says. Working salvation in the midst of the earth. I'm praying, God, would you save somebody? Would you work salvation? Would someone's life be changed forever? And I get a promise that he's always been working. He's working salvation in the midst of the earth, in the midst of our day, in the midst of your year, in the midst of your life. He can work salvation today. I mean, and I just thought that's just another way that God is knocking on the door this morning. So if God's spoken to your heart, won't you receive him today? He can forgive you. He can save you. He can change you. Your very worst can be put in the past. He can can help cause you to love him. He can work in your heart. And the invitation's open this morning. Do you hear the knock? Do you feel the knock in your heart? We're going to have a time, and today we're going to do it a little differently. We're just going to have a guided time of prayer right at our seats. There's going to be an opportunity for you to receive Christ as your Lord. Kids, I'm so glad you're in here today. You know, kids, God loves you. You know, kids, right now, right now, I'm telling you, you don't have to wait until you're older. You don't have to wait until you put on a little weight like me. You can accept Christ today. You can. You can say, God, I've done some things wrong, but I ask you to forgive them. And God, I'm going to give you my best. Help me to love you. You could do that today. Teens, adults, every person in this room, there's an opportunity. So as we pray, I just want you to reflect on this. Have you given God your worst? And have you given him your best? Don't leave with either of those two things today. That's my encouragement for you. So we're going to go into a time of prayer. And you can pray out loud. You can pray in your heart. But there's going to be an opportunity to receive Christ as your Savior. Put those obstacles out of the way today. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, let's pray together. If you would like to receive Christ today as your Lord, you could pray it in your own words, or you could just pray after me. Pray something like this. Heavenly Father, I know that I've sinned. 
I know I've done wrong. And God, I don't want to live that way anymore. Would you help me to change? Would you forgive me? Would you help me to love you more than I do today? I thank you for Jesus' sacrifice of dying of my sins, and I put my faith in him today. God, I'll give you my best, and I'll give you my worst. Thank you for saving. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to encourage you to do something today. Big step. If you prayed that prayer, one, if, if you're a kid, youth, I want you to tell your parent right away. Adult, I want you to tell your spouse. I want you to tell a loved one. I want you to tell somebody. I want you to tell somebody you prayed. But I also am asking you to do this. I'm going to ask you to get a hold of a pastor or just someone here because we want to pray with you. And there's some next steps we can take. So share it with a loved one. Share it with a pastor too. You've met me. You've met Pastor Jaron, Pastor Brent, Pastor Nathan. You can even get a hold of, you know, one of our board members. But you've got that opportunity today to, to talk to somebody. We love you. God bless you. Um, I think Jaron's going to come now for the benediction. Amen. If you believe that God is still in the business of changing lives, will you say amen? Amen. Praise God for the work that he is doing. Um, just a couple of brief announcements for the benediction. There's going to be two uh, really short meetings um, before you go back for donuts. Um, if you are um, a leader for Springfest, we ask that you meet over here with Pastor Brent. Um, he's going to just talk to, you, talk to you about a few things about Springfest this weekend. Also, if you are a parent of a kid in the nursery, if you work in the nursery, if you have anything to do with the nursery, um, there's some changes that are going to be made, being made with the nursery, and if you want to hear about those, um, you're going to be right over here. So if you're a Springfest leader over there, if you're uh, someone that works in the nursery over here, just a short meeting after the service. So if you'll stand with me as I read this morning's benediction. It comes from Second Thessalonians. It says this, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace. Comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Amen? Amen. You are dismissed.